0: This is the We Are Her podcast for survivors of abuse or assault to share their stories. I'm your host, Emily Kemp, and I'll be having a conversation with a different survivor each week. I want to be sure to include a strong trigger warning with this podcast. The content we discuss includes topics related to violence. Listener discretion is advised. (laughs) So, hello and welcome to the We Are Her podcast. Um, I just want to take a minute and let you, our wonderful guest, introduce yourself for a second.
1: Um, So, my name is Chelsea Fielding and I come from the UK. I'm 32 years old and I live in a really lovely place called Weybridge in Surrey. So, if you can think of like idyllic u k canals and little rivers and lots of green trees and oh, yeah yes. <laughs> it's beautiful um so I'm very lucky, like really good English pubs around as well um so yeah, I work for the n h s uh the national health service in the u k and um I live with my best friend and yeah that's that's me, I guess. <laughs> yeah thank you so
0: much for sharing a bit of yourself with us um do you mind me asking since you're all the way in the UK how you originally heard about we are her
1: yeah um so I think it must have been it was it was on Instagram um and I think I was searching for accounts to look um well to find out about narcissism and um well domestic abuse and things like that um I think it was just after I had, um, been attacked and I just suddenly came across this account and it just, the the things that were being said on there and the quotes and the information, and it just really spoke to me. So, um, I just clicked follow and yeah, that's been it for about like four years, I think four or five years. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's
0: kind of, so from our inception, you've been kind of hanging out with us, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and here you are now on the podcast, which is amazing. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um thanks again for, for all of that background and uh moving forward, I usually, you know, kind of just get right to it and I'll ask you a pretty general question like, um, you know, where do you want to start sharing your story? You can start
1: anywhere and
0: wherever is comfortable for you.
1: Um, it's I guess it's it's hard to know. Like I was thinking about you know what is my story, and everything kind of does center on this one incident. But I think as as I've grown in the last four or five years, um, you know, I've realized that a lot of it does start from when I was quite young. Um, you know that the, the kind of things that that propelled me to kind of go for relationships where I where I was being abused, um, because although I might not have been. Um, physically abused by all of my exes I definitely have had a lot of emotional abuse so I guess it's it's really what what you want me to delve into (laughs) how much time have we got (laughs) so yeah um, I
0: guess a great place to start would be maybe if you want to touch on some of that background that you were talking about what is that foundation that you think contributed to
1: those relationships you were in? Yeah okay so um, I think I've always been a really sensitive child like very very sensitive, very caring, very loving. Um, My biological dad basically left when I was about nine months old. Um, I didn't really know much about him, my mum was actually pretty amazing by not poisoning me against him. He would sort of come round sort of every birthday or Christmas with loads of presents so he was like the sort of mythical creature um sure. <laughs> coming in with presents and money and then he would just kind of go off again for for the rest of the year um obviously now I know that he was pretty awful um cheated on my mum a lot wouldn't even pick me up when I was a baby and I, I guess I think being a kid um and you know the the kind of classic story of when a parent does actually walk out you always kind of feel like it maybe is a bit a bit of your fault or you're always looking to be validated by that parent luckily I do have um a brilliant stepdad who's been my dad since I was a baby anyway but there's never been that sort of he's like he's never really been my full dad um just because of yeah by by
0: biology (laughs) So right. And your biological dad, you know, that is a part
1: of your story. Yeah, definitely. Sort of. definitely. No matter how you
0: roll the dice, that's there it is. That's part of it.
1: Well, I noticed that he he really because um, I think he's a narcissist. Definitely. He's he's got narcissism and, and sociopathic traits. Uh, the more that I've researched, the more I realize this. And I I've, I've gone through lots of stages of not talking to him. I didn't speak to him for like the last three years. And now because of COVID-19, I have been talking to him um and it's been fine it's been on my terms but I think if I hadn't done all the healing that I've done in the last four years then I don't think I would have been able to speak to him but I think him leaving and and that kind of left a hole um for me to to just fill uh my mum had um children after me so I was always kind of neglected a bit it's not my mum's fault but I didn't really get the attention that I I probably needed and I always felt like I was having to compensate and I was having to look after my brothers and do stuff around the house. And I never really saw my friends because we didn't really have enough money to go out and all that kind of stuff. So I think I just started looking for love. Um, And it kind of started when I was about 15. I started going out with this guy and we're only kids, but and it still sort of hurts me now. But he, you know, he kind of broke my heart and then it sort of ruined like the last two years of school. And just really from there, I was just, like, always looking for a boyfriend. Um, And I had so much love to give that it just unfortunately left me open to predators. Um, And I think there's been two sort of major boyfriends that have, like, I think I was 16. And he was very emotionally abusive, very controlling, uh, wouldn't let me have friends, got very angry at me if I ever went out. Uh, He would, like, sort of basically keep my phone um I remember there was two funerals I had to go to um family members and he made me late for both of them because he just didn't want to get there on time he just wanted to kind of make things difficult for me and that went on for about two and a half years and eventually I'm not proud of myself but I cheated on him um and it wasn't until I did that that I realized that I could actually walk away so right. like you
0: were reclaiming a moment
1: for yourself taking back that control. Yeah. Definitely. Maybe a wake up call moment. Yeah. Yeah, it it wasn't I didn't feel great about myself because that's not who I am but every time I tried to leave him he would just it it was yeah he he wouldn't stop calling me he would turn up out of nowhere. Um he threatened to hit the people that I was with. So if I was with any guys he would sort of threaten them and sort of you know try and fight them. And then that just made people not want to hang out with me. So um, I was just crying all the time. I'd always be crying. (laughs) Um, So I think when I left him, I kind of got my strength back and it was all great and I was fine. But I was still looking for a boyfriend. And then I did meet someone else when I was about 21. And it was great for about a year. We went to Australia together and we worked together. We lived together. It was like I thought I was going to marry him. And then I didn't realise that he was pretty much a sociopath as well. <laughs> and um, I think the last year that we were together, he just cheated on me incessantly. Um, but I was never able to prove things. And there was a lot of gaslighting and a lot of lying. Um, breaks, we went on loads of breaks, as in I would go home to my parents and then it would be like two weeks later and I'd come, come back. Um, and then I'd hear stories that he'd been with, with other girls, but I could never really prove it. Sure. And I think. It got to a point where, you know, we had such a big argument that I actually managed to break off the shower door in the bathroom and I threw it at him because I was just so angry with it. And I'd never been violent before myself. And I suddenly was just like, what what is this? Like, what's going on? And so I just I said it was over and I went home and he actually didn't stop pursuing me for about four years. Um that was back in the day where you couldn't block people really easily, so you have to like change your whole phone network, which is which a, that's like stalking behavior I also <laughs> want to point out and
0: and I just want to stop too and go back um and touch on a few things that you've said, which I think are really important um education moments um first of all, I really appreciate you sharing these kind of string of relationships that you went through when you were really young, because I think that's how it starts for a lot of people. And um, we tend to have these stereotypes about domestic violence, domestic abuse, intimate partner violence, that it happens to like married, you know, people with kids in their thirties and forties. But most abusive relationships happen to um, actually girls aged 15 to 24. Um, And that's because when you're learning how to date, when you're learning how to be in relationships, it's really easy for um, abusive, manipulative people to take advantage of the fact that you're inexperienced, right? And you're learning what your boundaries are and you're trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, talk about what you want and you need in a relationship and that other person kind of comes in and um prevents those that learning from happening in a healthy way. So I just really appreciate that you talked about you know, all of these relationships that were happening when you were younger. And I also wanted to touch on a couple of the things that you mentioned around like, oh, you know, I I cheated or I broke off a shower door and it wasn't like me. Um and I and I really I do honor the accountability that you're holding yourself to absolutely. And obviously um you know that you don't ever want to behave that way. But I think Sometimes um, there's a narrative when people are in abusive relationships and they do something like that, it sort of, um, it plays into this idea that, see, that person is messed up too and it takes two to tango. And oftentimes when the person who's being oppressed or abused in the relationship kind of acts out or lashes out like that, they're they're trying to survive. You know, they're just trying to do whatever they can in that moment to to survive and i think yeah i think um you know accountability is awesome but some of the guilt and shame that comes with those types of actions like i can't believe i did that you know i'm also a bad person um i think we have to kind of re- like zoom out and reframe that a little bit and so i just really appreciate the vulnerability that it took for you to share some of that more personal stuff um because i think a lot of survivors have felt something
1: similar mm, no thank you I- I think yeah no you're right it um I I do always feel quite bad for for doing that because you know I I know that well I just I acted out of I think yeah survival I didn't know you know we all lose our temper um, and we all have our limits we're all pushed to a point but I think because of knowing that I've been abused and I've been pushed to a point sorry that they that, you know that um I've been told that these people have been pushed to a point that's sometimes how people. Will try and justify it whenever I tell others about what's happened to me. They're like, "Oh, but you know that person might have just been pushed, or they might have felt really angry, and you know you've got to understand that they have emotions too." And I, I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> um, but then I suppose, yeah, like you said, if I sort of admit that I've cheated or I've thrown something at someone, then I, I do. I go into that kind of narrative of, "Oh God, I must be really awful as well." But actually. I spent so long trying to to give myself to somebody and, and treat them right. And then this happens, you know, what
0: what do you do? And it's a, it's it's I always encourage people to look at that bigger picture in the broader context, because if you take one teeny tiny slice out of a relationship and you analyze that moment in in time, it's hard to know exactly what the dynamic is. But if you can kind of zoom out and look at the bigger picture and ask questions like who has the power? you know who's calling the shots where is the the power differential whose world is becoming smaller right it it it's it makes it a little bit easier to understand the pattern that's happening um but yeah in
1: those time, in those moments it can be really hard to tell what's going on i think the the biggest thing that had the biggest relationship even though the the one where i was physically attacked that has definitely had like a a huge mental um health impact and it's made life very hard for me for like, the last four years but the one where I where I threw the shower door so this guy was called Tom and Tom was like he was like my savior he was meant to be you know I, I really honestly thought that we were going to be together forever and he spent four years sort of torturing me and you know I I now look back and think god I should have just cut him off straight away but it unfortunately set like a precedent for the next sort of eight years or ten years, um he was like a ghost I could never quite sort of get rid of, like always haunting me um and I realized that you know a lot of the a lot of the things that happened in in that relationship it was actually although it was so much suffering, it was really, really good to help me overcome anything that might happen again. I don't think anyone will ever hurt me the same way that he did. Um, I'm probably never going to love someone the same way that I loved him because I wouldn't let myself be destroyed that way. Cause that love wasn't, it wasn't real love. It was toxic love. Um, and I know that now, but I mean, you know, when I look back and I think, God, like the years that were taken away from me of being just withdrawn and not myself and, um, just sort of under his spell, under his thumb. I mean, the things that I pinpoint now is I can see the, the emotional abuse and the, gaslighting and the kind of isolation so he was turning me away from my family um the people that we lived with uh, we worked in a pub together so I had a lot of friends in the pub but they all knew that he was cheating on me and then they wouldn't that they were too scared to tell me um and I you know a woman knows a woman knows when things aren't right and I knew that something wasn't right and I kept sort of asking his friends and asking our mutual friends And in the end they got so fed up with it because they didn't want to be involved, but really thinking back about it, you know, they should have said something. Um, They all, my nickname was psycho Chelsea because I was, all I was trying to do was find out if my boyfriend was cheating on me so I could just pack my things and go. And I think I'll always remember that because it was just such an awful thing to say to someone, you know, that's being emotionally abused. No one, everyone turned their back no one stood up and tried to help or sort of had had any decency and and now I forgive it but I think you know at the time I I really do think that that those people I hope that they question themselves of you know would they do that again
0: oh yeah and I'd like to point out too that it very much plays into a sexist stereotype of like the crazy girlfriend you know and yeah not only is that inaccurate and harmful, but it's, it reinforces the gaslighting. If you ever felt like a moment um where you were second guessing your own assessment of the situation, that was only going to make you feel even more unsure of yourself and your own intuition, you know? And so when you get that reaction time and time and time again, it's just, you lose all sense of your own ability to like judge, you know?
1: Um, mm. Yeah, tough. absolutely. I think um, like now I've definitely made peace with it. And um the best thing I did was to walk away from him. And, and I know that, you know, it had a big impact that I actually walked away and he, he ended up going out with someone like a couple of weeks later and they're now, they've been together for eight years and they're engaged. Um But he's basically been cheating on her the whole time that they've been together, which is, you know, the same thing's happening. And I, I think that's why I started researching into narcissists and sociopaths and things like that, because I realized that it was a pattern and why am I being attracted to these types of people? Um, he did actually recently come back into my life, um, earlier this year. He just actually turned up on my doorstep. Wow. Yeah. After seven years, um, he'd managed to get my address from like a mutual friend and he turned up and actually it was, um, it was an interesting conversation, but it was, it was a really, really needed one. It was, it was quite, lovely actually um i can see that he's still kind of the same person and he's not someone that i would want to have a friendship with or or really have any involvement in my life anymore but it was good to be able to kind of put that to bed um and see that it really wasn't personal That it, it actually unfortunately is just him and his personality um because he's just repeating the same patterns only i i got the chance to walk away and um yeah i i you know, it's it just strange that it happened uh, beginning of this year, because I think beginning of this year is when my life has started to become a lot more stable and I've grown a lot more. Um, but I, I just wanted to mention that bit of him sort of coming back because it was uh, I just remember 10 years ago when we broke up and I was. Well, uh, yeah, it's about 10 years ago now. And I was walking down um, out of the station, Waveridge station near where I live, and I was just in tears. I've been in London I was in absolute tears. I just couldn't get my head around that he he was with someone else. And it was all a massive shock. And I was crying every day. And I just remember walking down that road and thinking to myself, you know what? In 10 years time, I'm not going to care about this. And in 10 years time, he's going to come back and he's going to say sorry. And he's going to realise the mistake he made. And I don't know if I really believe that. But then 10 years later, it did actually happen. So... But then you did get that validation that,
0: and, you know, that's a, that's huge. What a moment, like you said, to kind of have closure and move on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he really wanted to stay friends, but, um, I, I sort of, I, I, I did toy with the idea and then I thought, no, you know, I've, I've grown from that. And I, um, I just quietly blocked him. He, I, I just I removed him from everything. So, so that's sort of, yeah, that's been put to bed. And it was actually, I think, really, really needed. Um and I, I do have a big belief in the universe and energies and you know what you attract and that kind of thing. And it was a kind of a moment for me to realise that I'm coming full circle. I'm completing things and I'm moving on and um but I just while I've been talking, I just remember that there was that thing that we were talking about gaslighting and, you know, like you said about the stereotype and you know, women always being made out to be crazy. I remember um, meeting up with some of his friends. Well, they were more mutual friends when I went traveling in Australia and we were talking about Tom and the whole incident and being called psycho Chelsea. And um, these friends, mutual friends apologized and said, yeah, no, we did know that he was cheating on you. And I just sort of remember, I I didn't, I didn't call them out on it. I didn't say anything. So I just thought, I just, it's not worth it. But I thought, I'm just so glad that I knew in my heart, deep down, that I was right. I didn't, I didn't fully allow myself to completely, you know, lose my grip on reality. Um, and that's why I fought so hard to, to leave because I just, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to believe myself and my own truth. And then hearing that just kind of confirmed that I can always trust myself and rely on myself, whatever happens
0: right you're getting these these uh, moments of affirmation where you already knew but now it's like okay you can kind of get that reinforcement and step by step like re you know kind of rebuild your sense of confidence in your own ability to intuit Um, and I think that that's really beautiful and I also think it's really beautiful that you sort of touched on this idea that no matter how many people were telling you you're crazy or you're psycho Chelsea that 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 little light inside you couldn't be snuffed out um and no matter how small it got right you still had that and you were able to listen to that and tap
1: into that somehow yeah oh that. yeah actually that's a really nice way of putting it thank mm-hmm. you yeah yeah no I've always um I've always had that I think which is probably why I've been able to get over so many things but I think you know after after sort of the whole tom situation i went through um a few different relationships um i had like a sort of um on-off relationship with a with my best friend um but it didn't work out and then i i met dean so um dean is if, if that's okay to go into it I yeah probably, yeah absolutely i know yeah. you're
0: kind of you know <laughs> touching on it a little bit but I think it sounds like it's a pretty pivotal moment um pivotal relationship for you so yeah I think it's let's go there
1: okay so I I think it's important to mention that I'd gone traveling so I was I was 26 and I went traveling uh about seven or eight months had an amazing time um you know really sort of found myself and all that kind of stuff and then I came home um went out with someone for about eight months that didn't really work out um and then I decided to go to South Africa to go work there and when I got to South Africa again I was like this isn't for me I don't really want to do this because it was actually really really dangerous and I just thought you know what is it that I want and I looked online I saw all these some of my happy friends in relationships and things like that and I thought you know what that's what I want I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna make it happen I'm um, gonna find a boyfriend, and I'm gonna get married, and we just—I'm gonna settle down. That's—that's that's what I want. So I, I came home again, much to my mother's um, <laughs> annoyance, because I just left only a few weeks earlier. Surprise! Uh, yeah, I'm back. Every every time I leave, <laughs> I come back very soon. Um, and I—I I went straight on Tinder, and I was like, right, I'm gonna find a guy. I'm gonna find find the perfect man and um weirdly actually at the same time that I was doing that so I, I met I met Dean um like I matched with him and I don't I've matched with quite a few other people but and I, I don't really know why he stood out so much he wasn't particularly he wasn't really so much better than everyone else but I think he he spoke to me a lot more he seemed very attentive um and there was something about his character already that I could see coming through so I thought oh okay well yeah he's he's interesting um and I think we we agreed to meet up and he sort of turned up in this Mercedes like really nice car I'm not normally a materialistic person but I I was sort of looking I guess for a lifestyle sure um well
0: and he clearly was trying to give you the old razzle dazzle (laughs)
1: oh yeah definitely definitely Uh, so yeah he turned up and I was like okay that's a box ticked great all right then he's got a good job you know he's obviously works hard a bit of a grown-up so brilliant so I get in the car and immediately my gut feeling is like this is not going to go anywhere I don't want to see him again um already and I thought you know, let's just go have a fun date. I'm quite good at speaking to people. This could be just an experience. It, it will be fun and I'll never see him again. That's dating half the time. You're like, well, you know,
0: there it is. We had a drink. We're done. Moving on. So yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'm carrying most of the conversation because he seems quite shy. Um And I can do that anyway. So that was fine. But then I thought, God, how am I going to get through the next sort of like four hours with this guy? Um And then I kind of just, thought that he was a bit nervous so that made my empathic nature kind of be like oh you know I'll I'll give him a chance that's fine and then we had a few drinks and then his his character started coming out and I found him quite funny he was a very good looking guy um and then I just suddenly was like oh I'm having a great time and then uh we I think we went for a drive and we went and looked at the stars and we had a kiss and then um like this we were in the um in the countryside so suddenly we heard like this big rambling of like this huge noise it sounded like thunder and it was a stampede of like cows they'd broken out of the field <laughs> so they were like running down this road and I think because of that whole situation it just kind of it was a very unusual thing so we were just laughing about it and um I don't know I it's a very memorable moment for our first date That's yeah definitely um, so he dropped me home and then the next day, you know, he was like, Hey Chelsea, like, what are you up to? Do you want to come around? I'll cook you dinner. So I was like, Yeah, okay, cool. So I went round, and he was just, he was just constantly messaging me, constantly wanting to see me. And, you know, that to me was great. I, I wanted the attention. I wanted, um, him to, to want me around. Um, and then we just started hanging out a bit more, but there was always something a bit off with him and I couldn't, quite place it and i still can't um but it was almost like he was just very hot and cold and i think in the end i just sort of got hooked by this kind of he would give me lots of attention and then withdraw and then give me more and then take it away again so it became this kind of well i got addicted to it basically um and from doing some research um well quite a bit of research about narcissism and things like that i realized that i was just unfortunate i i met quite and you know yeah quite a sort of um malignant narcissist and i was completely under that spell i mean i it, when people say why did you stick around i really can't think of a reason there, were, there was nothing going for him really he <laughs> well
0: and- type of like that type of stonewalling is really, um, it's really intentional. And when we talk about abuse tactics, we often, again, think of the stereotypes of physical abuse, or at least more direct abuse, like name calling or someone being mean, but, but giving affection, and then quickly taking away affection is a manipulative abuse tactic. It's like pulling the rug out from underneath somebody and, um, and it leaves them sort of, you know, on the other end feeling like, oh my God, what did I do? How do I get it back? It feels so good when it's there. It's, you know, whether he consciously did that or not is another thing, but it is a very specific and intentional type of abuse. And one that's more passive that we don't really talk about. It creates like this very unhealthy attachment.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, it, it definitely did. It was, you know, from going to not really ever wanting to see him again after that first day to needing to see him all the time. Was you know quite quite scary when I look at it now, and I I I think a lot of it was to do with the amount that he was messaging me. Um, I kind of took that as as the the sign that he was really interested, and I I liked it. I liked looking at my phone and and seeing that he he'd messaged me. He was always you know saying how's your day that kind of thing. But in actual person, he wasn't he wasn't very kind. He wasn't very warm. There wasn't really much. Being given out there, um the other weird thing about him is that i I can't remember what he looks like now. I couldn't even tell you what he looks like i could- I would recognize him in the street, but I also wonder if I really would recognize him. It's almost like my mind or my body has blocked him out, but he never one thing I remember about him is that he never looked the same. He always had it was i mean it sounds bizarre, but it was like his face was like it shifted it was like a shape shifter or something he just slightly like he he wore glasses so he didn't look the same when he took his glasses off and yeah just I don't know and maybe that was just his personality coming out and it was the way that I was looking at him um he just looked different with with each mood that he had but I remember distinctively as well is that he would withhold sex or affection anything like that he would he would give it again and then he would just sort of withhold it but it would be done in such a way that it would be to make me feel like I wasn't attractive enough um or you know that he wasn't attracted to me um he would he would say things like he adored me and that he loved me and then he would say that he didn't love me um and that there was something missing and it was this roller coaster um of uncertainty I ended up um well I mean for very early on actually I started giving him money as well so when we first met he was made redundant. He did get a job very quickly um, but he sort of made out that he needed uh, money for his rent and things like that. So I helped him. Um, Paid for a trip for him to come with me to Ibiza as well. So that was like a good 500 pounds Um and it just went on from there. I mean we were only together six months as well so when I look at the definition of you know abuse and well if you've been with a like a psychopath or something like that you know you've the emotionally abused financially abused and physically abused and I was just like wow like all these things have happened to me um because right and it escalated
0: really quickly it sounds like oh yeah you got caught very quickly yeah like caught playing his
1: game yes I mean within six months we'd moved in together bought a very expensive car together and got a dog together so it it I mean, I'm a, well, I just I would like to think that I would have been a little bit more clever. And I'm not saying that as like berating myself, um, but it, it really highlights just how much, you know, how much under that spell I was. And there's not really anything you can do about it. That's how I
0: felt anyway. Oh, and that it can happen to anyone, you know, and that it's not, again, there are these stereotypes or I hear people say all the time anyway, like, oh, I'd never let that happen to me. I'm smarter than that, which insinuates that somehow someone who um, ends up being abused is like dumb or they had it coming or they, you know, which is just really harmful language. But also it really can happen to anyone because
1: narcissists and abusers are really good at what they do absolutely I i d I don't think that anyone should ever feel bad for giving their love to to anyone and you know like sitting there like I have done and gone God what how could I have been so stupid because it wasn't stupidity it was it was the it was someone took advantage of someone else's good nature and love, and that's that's on them it's not on me um absolutely, but you know I think that it just showed how utterly kind of good he was at what he was doing and He, uh, when we went to Ibiza, he came back and I had he'd sort of got me into a place where I was hating my family, um, so I moved in with him, and at that point we'd only been together for like two two months or something, um, so moved in with him and then, uh, we for for about a month it was actually quite nice, and then it all kind of started to go a bit weird, and we we bought a car together we actually got, we got a BMW M3, so it was like 25 grand of car, which is quite a lot, really, if you don't really know each other. And, um, I ended up giving my car away for part exchange and, um, spending about a thousand pounds on, on this car as well. And then we were sharing the the car payments, So I was paying like about 400 pounds a month for this car. Um, but I didn't have to pay him rent. So it kind of, I, you know, I kind of justified it to myself as well. And that was all fine. And we went on like a sort of little holiday to like a driving trip to Wales and, and things were, were quite good for at least four weeks. And then he sort of turned around to me and said, Um, I'd like you to move out for three nights a week. And okay. <laughs> wow. I was a bit like, I mean, the the Chelsea that I know, you know, kicked in and was like, "Oh, hang on a minute, what what do you mean?" But the Chelsea that just wanted him to love me was like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, sure, like whatever, whatever you want, okay." And I justified it. I told myself it was because we we moved too quickly. We'd spent too much time together. There wasn't enough space. We'd get another place together. It would all be fine. This is only temporary. Um, so I moved back to my mum's for like three nights a week, and then. It just became a bit odd because he was working on weekends. So I'd go back while he was working. So we barely saw each other. Um, and I was trying to silence that gut feeling, that gut, that gut voice, the intuition. And it was making me more and more upset because I wasn't listening to myself. And eventually, um, well, we, we just, hit, hit, sorry, uh, yeah, his dog died. So his mum lived in Texas, and he was meant to be getting his dog over. His dog died, so he cried about it. And I was, you know, I jumped to be the saviour. And I was like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him love me again, and I'm gonna help him with, with you know, getting a new dog. And that's what he wanted. So he perked up, and he was being all loving again, and and really kind of wanting me around. Um, we went and looked at other dogs while I'm still living at my mum's though at this point he still didn't want me to come back and we went and got had a look at this dog um he said he couldn't afford it so I paid for it and got it for him as a present um and then our housemates or his housemates said that he didn't want that they didn't want the dog um so the dog had to stay with me and I had to go find somewhere else to live and then I, so I was still at this point, like living full time actually out at my mum's house and other, and like another friend's house where I could have the dog. So I'm really kind of stressing myself out, not having a stable place to live. And then, um, I still had the spare key to his house. So I would go around there every so often and I just kind of noticed that I, he'd been fobbing me off for about a week, um, of not letting me go back home or, or to his. And I just remember, um, one night, texting him and just saying like you look can I you know do you want to can I come around like it'd be nice to hang out and he said yeah okay and I let myself in with the key and I remember his housemates looking at me in such shock that I'd walked through the door um that it hit me at that moment that they all thought we'd broken up and I don't know what told me I don't know I don't know how my intuition picked up on this but I got the feeling that he had another girl around there so I sort of confronted uh, Dean about it, and he told me not to be crazy, to stop being so stupid, and no, that isn't that isn't it. So I stayed over, told myself that you know I was just making it up for it, not making it up, but it was just was jumping to conclusions. And then the next morning, I saw a text on his phone from a from another girl called Georgie and uh again like no real evidence but i just felt like i was like right this is you know this is obviously this is happening yeah yeah and i was like who's this and he just said oh it's just a girl from work that you know nothing to worry about um and then uh i just I, I went back home he went to work um and i actually ended up having a panic attack uh later on that day because i just couldn't i couldn't cope with it it was I think just yeah the the whole situation was getting too stressful. I also had the dog, um, which I'm actually allergic to dogs, so like, it was
0: too <laughs> You know, just like oh, just well, and it makes sense that at some point, like all of that stress, you know, it's not just oh, well, this panic attack came out of nowhere. Like you had been, you know, for months being there's so much stress in your body and your brain your nervous system can only live under those conditions for so long before it's going to spill over you know so it sounds like things were kind of coming to a head for
1: you yeah I think I could tell that he was really pulling away um and I was just so angry but also incredibly scared because he at that point he was my anchor he was he was my network he although I wasn't living with him Um, full time I was still there and I still relied on him and he he'd made me so reliant on him and the car I had wasn't even mine it was his so we had two cars but they were both his and this dog that I paid for but wasn't mine because it was in his name and it was just I had nothing um and I, I couldn't go to work and I was I was just I think at that point I my mental health was starting to get really bad and I, I was starting to think like I just can't be here anymore, I don't want to be here anymore. Um I think it was the dog, Clarence was his name. He he actually gave me something to kind of live for. Um at that point, that's what I thought anyway, and I thought I can't leave him. And I still thought that Dean was gonna come back to me, or at least that we were gonna, you know, if I just hung on for a little bit longer, we'd we'd move in together and it'd all be fine. Um and then so after the panic attack, Dean came to the hospital where I was because I actually got admitted, um, because my asthma was affected too because of the allergies. So he came to the hospital, I took that as a sign that he still cared. Um, you know, he was in contact with my mum and he went and picked up my prescription and he was like, you know, don't worry, I'll look after you type of thing. So again, that validation, that love was back. Um and I and I felt like, okay, this is good, this is fine. And then a few days later um he said can we talk and I just kind of knew that we were going to break up and I just said well no I don't really want to meet up with you if you're just going to break up with me you can just you can come and get your dog and and leave me like just leave um I was trying to be quite strong and just sort of you know I was hoping that that would maybe make him um not want to break up you know he didn't want to lose me because I was right right. I didn't care Um, right so yeah he turned up got the dog that was it and then about two weeks later we were talking again and we decided to get back together I I, I don't even know how that happened but clearly I think really he just wanted someone to pay for his deposit for a new place to live because his housemates didn't
0: right he was still trying to take from
1: you so he needed to rope you back in to get what he wanted yeah completely so he was being really lovely got me to uh, go look at a place with him he said you know we could move in here together it's big enough and we can have the dog and that was the reason we broke off is because it was too stressful like okay sure so I paid um 1,500 pounds for a deposit and the first month's rent and then he still convinced me that he needed to move in first before I did and again I don't know how how that happened um and then I think it was about a week that he'd been living there and I was like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to move my stuff in tomorrow. Um, and he was, he was like, oh yeah, okay, fine, sure. And then I'm at my mum's and I get this text, uh, from him saying, um, you're not going to like this, but it's over. Um, I'll be in touch with you about financial, financial situations. Um, but don't contact me. And I just thought, I think it was like my backbone. I suddenly felt like I got a backbone. And I was like, no, actually, you can't. You can't do this. You, you know, you can't. So I actually went over there, um, and I, I let myself in, um, and I demanded to know what was. The going thing
0: on. is, how you had paid for the freaking deposit. I'm sure you had a key.
1: Good yeah. Lord. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I think um he he'd been telling me that you know if I turned up unannounced or whatever, then I, I wouldn't be allowed in. He'd call the police or. I could get in trouble I was trespassing but I now know that that's not true that that's not the law um so I I I did go in there and um I was actually quite calm and um I just demanded that he sign over one of the cars to me um not the what not the the BMW the the other car just because he'd taken mine and the amount of money that I'd already paid for the car amounted to that to to the to the old car that he was going to sell anyway so he agreed to that he signed it over to me and um he sort of he kind of sweet talked me around into being friends um and that we you know had fallen out of love with each other and that we could still support each other but he still needs my financial help and again I just agreed I think I was just so desperate not to lose him completely um thinking that it might get better it might be okay that I just allowed it to happen, so I, I just sort of said, "Yeah, okay, fine," and I and I walked out. And um, then I think it was a couple of days later where um, I realized that I had left a box of things in in the house, and one of the boxes contained my grandmother's engagement ring. And I think at this point I'd kind of, you know, I I got my sanity back a little bit and sort of realized that if I didn't go get it he might actually sell it and I, I just didn't trust him and I, I actually wanted to go get my dog as well I missed him and I my um the landlady had also rung us to tell well, sorry rung me to tell me that he, she was going to report Dean to the RSPCA for um which if anyone doesn't know what that is it's a um animal shelter charity that stops animal cruelty in the UK um she'd rung up to complain that um Dean had been locking um our dog Clarence in a cage uh, for 12 hours a day where the dog couldn't turn around and I think at that point I just thought no like you you know you might be able to abuse me but you I don't want you touching my dog so um I went over there to go get the dog and get my things and I did have a key so I let myself in and I did text him and said you know out of courtesy I'm here Um, and I'm I'm taking Clarence but I couldn't find the box of of stuff I couldn't find my ring so I texted him asking him where it was and he'd put it in the boot of his car for some reason and now I know it was because I think he it was another point of control to keep my things so that I couldn't just go in and get them by myself Um, so he said well if you want them then you know I'm gonna have to come back and give them to you and I really didn't want to see him, but I thought, okay, fine. Um, at no point through the six months of us being together, did I ever think that he would be violent? He was quite stony. He was quite, um, intimidating. He was six foot four and I'm five foot one. Um, so, you know, the size difference and I'm quite slim and he was, he was quite sort of muscly. He's very strong basically. Um, but he was never ever violent towards me. So at no point did I ever think that that I had a reason to be scared of him. Um, so after I sent that text, he, um, he was back at the house within like 10 minutes and I saw him tearing into the driveway, uh, like sort of, I don't know, almost like skidding into the driveway. Um, and for some reason I, I felt a little bit scared and I immediately picked up the dog because I kind of thought, well, if I'm holding the dog, then he's not going to be able to sort of get in my face or shout at me. And he walks into the apartment and just, you can, he's so angry that he's very quiet um, and his face is twitching. And he just said to me, get the fuck out. And I just sort of looked at him and said, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving. This is, this is my house, not yours. He said, no, I live here. Get the fuck out of my house. And I said, well, you didn't pay for the deposit. So no you don't live here actually technically this is my place you need to get out and he um he said well no because I can prove that the deposit came from my account so you've got no claim to this and I just I just sort of said that's ridiculous and then he said um put the dog down you look you look ridiculous there's no reason for you to hold the dog I'm not going to hurt you so I said okay fine so I put Clarence down I also felt a bit bad so I thought Clarence was getting quite scared um, and I can't really remember what me and Dean were shouting about, but I, I walked over to him and I just, um, I was trying to get past him to get into the bathroom to, I think I'd left something else in there and I wanted something. And he said something to me and I, I really can't remember what it was, but I just remember turning around to him and I had sort of open, my, my palms were out in front of me open because he was getting quite close to me. So I put them out to kind of, I guess, yeah, have my space and indicate I want him to stay away. And I just said, you're a pathetic excuse for a man. And he snapped and he just grabbed me by my neck. Um, it was so quick. He, he grabbed me by my neck and lifted me up. And it was it was like he was just squeezing like marshmallow. It was just like nothing to him. And he was squeezing and squeezing. And my feet were just dangling off. Off the ground, so I was technically like hanging. Um, and then I felt myself being sort of rushed, smashed into the uh, the corner of the, the the front door and the wall. And he was just holding me up against the wall, just just squeezing and squeezing, and just shouting at me and just saying I've had enough of you. And it was so quick that I I couldn't, you know, when you look like when you watch people being strangled in movies, and they're sort of scrabbling around for like five minutes, it just doesn't it doesn't happen like that. It's so so quick. Um, and I, I was trying to put my hands up to get his hands off, but I I had no strength. I couldn't do it. All I could do was just rest my hands on his hands. And I just remember thinking to myself, uh, with with slight amusement actually, just thinking like ironically, you know, I've wanted to die in the last month or so because of this. Um and I've had suicidal thoughts before and, and this is how it's gonna end. This is how I'm gonna die. And I, I really thought that, that that was the moment that I was gonna die and I, I I remember the feeling of, I'm not ready. I don't want to die, actually. This isn't how I want to go. Um, and then I I must have blacked out because I woke up on the floor and he, he had my head and he he'd sort of smashed it. He was digging it into the floorboards um, and then he let go. And then I sort of I sat up and he was on the other side of the room. And I... I the feeling was like being drunk. It was like I was standing on the ceiling, and everything was everything had turned upside down. I couldn't really understand what happened. It was just a massive shock. Like I was just all over the place, and so I, I stood up quite quickly, and then I had to sit back down again because I felt really sick. And I just sort of looked at him and said, "What did you do?" And he went, "What? What are you talking about?" I said, "Well, what, what did you do? You've just strangled me." And he went, "No, don't be ridiculous." You're talking rubber, she you strangled yourself. And for for a split second. Which I think is physically impossible. I mean it is. it is. Yeah. I had to ask the police though if that was possible because honestly, for a split second, I really did think that maybe that happened. Um and that was the power of of, of that emotional abuse and gaslighting. And I was in absolute disbelief but I think the adrenaline running through my body at that point, I people find it really hard to believe but I got straight back up and started arguing with him for another forty five minutes. I didn't just leave. I was determined to leave with my with my dog and the keys to my car and my stuff. I didn't I didn't want him to you know I, I think at that point I just thought I didn't have anything else to lose. Um I was really so broken and so down that I was just like, Fine, if he kills me, he kills me but I I'm not going to just walk out of here, letting him. Well, and you are in like
0: fight or flight mode, you know. The bot, your body can do amazing things, like you said, with all of that adrenaline. And, you know, when you're in fight or flight, your rational brain, that prefrontal cortex, sort of shuts down, and you're just in your primal sort of state of being. And you're like, I, you know, I need my dog. I need my keys to get out of here. Yeah. You know, like very determined.
1: Yeah, it was. I I remember saying to him, like, you nearly killed me. And he's like, oh, you're always trying to kill yourself here. And he threw a a bottle of pills at me and he told me to go kill myself. Um, And I said, no, obviously. (laughs) Um, And I I sort of, we were kind of circling each other. He didn't really get very close to me and I didn't get close to him in in the kind of immediate moments. Um, But I took my car keys and he grabbed them before I could get them, sorry. He grabbed them and he held them above his head. And he said, "Come on, then come and get them." Um, and I just said, "Don't be ridiculous. Just give them to me." And he said, "If you don't, if you don't uh, take the car keys, I'm calling the police and go have you re- have you removed." I said, "But you're not you're not giving me the car keys." So then I picked up the dog and I said, "All right, I'm going." So if you take the dog, then you can't have the car keys. So it's one or the other. You can walk home with the dog, or you can take the car keys and leave the dog with me. Um, and he kept threatening the police and telling me that he he was going to tell the police that I was crazy. And that I had come in and I'd trespassed and that I was the one that had, um, that had hit him. Um, he also said that, yeah, he said that he was going to tell them that I'd run into a wall as well. Um, and that I would tried to strangle myself and set him up or something. And I, I think, at, you know, now I can hear how ridiculous that is, but at the time I was terrified because I thought, I thought the police would listen to him. I thought that I was going to get. In trouble. In trouble. Right. Um, It's interesting too, even in
0: this little exchange that you guys are having, how he's constantly like wheeling and dealing and looking for leverage points to his advantage. He's always like blackmailing or holding something hostage, you know, tit for tat, you know, just like grasping and grasping and grasping at whatever he has to try and keep that power and control in the situation.
1: Yeah yeah completely it was there was definitely always a, a power thing and I think it was just because he knew that actually I wasn't you know that I, I he couldn't control me anymore because when he said that I said no I'm not leaving um and I, I actually noticed that there was someone next door as well that had heard everything um but they, they didn't come to my rescue at all but later on I, I did manage to use that person as a witness um but Dean was, yeah, constantly kind of, like you said, like being blackmailing and just saying, right, I'm gonna call the police, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. Um and then because I refused to listen to him and I I refused to leave without the things that I came there for, he he did come back up to me again and he got my, my arm and he pinned it round my back and sort of pushed me to the floor again so that my head was digging into the floor again. Um, and he was just like, why won't you just fuck off? And I was like, well, because, because I want my stuff and I'm not, I'm not going to walk away. And then he let me go and then he got his face right into my face. So he squared up to me and I just looked him straight in the eye and I just said, I'm not scared of you. And I really, really believed it. I was not scared of him at that point. Um, cause I just kind of figured, well, what else could he do? And, he looked at me and said well you should be you don't know what I've done and you don't know what I'm capable of um and I think there's like in America you know how some place like um because I obviously watch a lot of American TV and if bears if you ever come across a bear they tell you to become bigger than the bear don't they so for some reason I was like right I'm gonna I'm gonna be bigger than the bear (laughs) and I had this idea of just kind of making myself look quite scary and I I when he said you know you you don't know what I'm capable of I just screamed back at him and I just said well go on then what are you gonna do kill me go on kill me um obviously said in a much more hysterical way than I just said it now but I I said you know you've just you just tried and you couldn't do it so what are you going to do and it was almost like he just he just backed off he just kind of he just kind of backed down and, and walked away from me and he didn't he didn't come near me again um so you know I kind of grabbed my things I unfortunately couldn't take Clarence with me um it was I think I was just actually too scared and I thought I'll come and get him back at a later date like I, I could maybe get the police to help me with it um so yeah he he, uh like I walked down the stairs Dean followed me to make sure that I got into my car um and then he he did give me my box of things and then he just you know told me never to come back again and I said well this isn't you know I, I will be coming back for the dog um then I I did drive off and I just kind of I was in just total shock I probably shouldn't have been driving at that time um and then I rang a friend of mine and I told her what happened. And, uh, it was actually her that said, go to the police because I honestly thought the police would just think I would be wasting their time. Um, because I didn't really believe that I deserved to have any help. I, I, I just thought that, you know, these things happen and women have gone through much worse things. And this is just a result of angering someone. I honestly had no self-esteem at that point that I thought that I deserved to be protected.
0: Well, and also that's called minimizing. And it's a technique that our brains will use when we are in such a grave danger and we're in a state of overwhelm that having to like consciously grapple with the reality of what has happened is too scary. And so our brains starts saying things like, no, no, it's fine. It's not that big a deal. You know, this happens to every, And that's just survival as well. That's our, that's like our brains kicking in and being like, you know, this is too much. And so I'm going to tell you that everything is fine in order to like bring you back down into a safe place. So I just wanted to point that out as well, um, that minimizing is a survival technique. And a lot of survivors do that to help get them through really traumatic stuff.
1: Hmm. Okay, well, that, actually, that's, that's really interesting to know, because that's something that I, even through all the therapy that I've had, I, I didn't really, I didn't know that, actually. Um, I still wonder why I thought that, you know, I didn't have the right to go and complain about it. But that actually makes sense, so thank you. Um, I I did I d- I drove myself to the police station and ended up you know I went in there and I had marks all over my neck and I was taken to the hospital. Um, My phone had run out of battery, so I couldn't actually ring anyone. I didn't know anyone's numbers by heart either, so <laughs> I ended up uh, ringing my my childhood like next door neighbors' parents. That for some reason that was the only number I could remember. Um, sure back when we had dial up and you had you probably did it like a hundred times (laughs) a day (laughs) yeah so and I knew that her parents would always be in because um they're they're sort of a bit older than than mine so yeah so they were in um and they they sort of look at me as like their their second daughter so they actually managed to ring my mum and then my mum turned up it was just all a massive blur but I just remember the the nurse just saying to me that if he'd held on for a couple more seconds or any longer, I could could have, um, well, I I would have definitely have had brain damage or I would have most certainly died. So I think it wasn't until then that I realised just how serious that really was. Um, He got arrested. So they they went to his, the police went to his work, arrested him at work. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention that he'd actually been cheating on me for about two months with this other girl as well from work. So at the time that I paid for this apartment, he'd already been seeing her for about a month um so yeah it was clearly just trying to get money out of me I think um so he got he got arrested at work and I I think I was quite happy with that because I was hoping that it would expose you know who he was and what he'd done um he was held in a cell at night or sorry overnight um and then he he was eventually convicted I went to court to see him get sentenced I personally don't think he got the punishment that he deserved um or or what I deserved I, I got a restraining order against him for two years um he had to pay a, a fine to the court of like 300 pounds and he got free, uh, free therapy for about a year so re- rehabilitation but it was just basically anger management therapy um whereas I unfortunately was just kind of left with nothing and I sort of got the scars of PTSD after that so oh yeah yeah so that that kind of um like that whole police situation um him him being convicted that whole thing I think that kind of kept me going that kept the adrenaline going and I, I was really motivated and I tried I got a new job and and things like that and I moved actually back into our apartment but I moved into a different apartment within the same building so I wasn't in the same yeah, area that it happened but I was still in the same house with the landlady because the landlady kicked him out the landlady actually stole the dog back for me as well so before he got I was to... gonna ask what happened yeah, to Clarence. Say, Clarence um yeah so my landlady uh was a Buddhist and just yeah t- to be honest it was like an angel had been sent to me she uh, the minute it happened I ran her uh well I ran her after the police and she she did everything that she possibly could so what she did is she kept me updated on what was going on but she actually pretended to be his friend and on his side um waited for him to be lulled into because what he'd done is is after he got arrested he got someone to come pick up Clarence and hide Clarence for about three weeks and then eventually he came back to to the, the the apartment and he brought Clarence back and then my landlady rang me up and said, because we had a plan all along that I was going to move back in once he'd been kicked out. But we had to wait for the court case,
0: which was only about a
1: month or so. Um, so, yeah, basically, she convinced him that it was totally safe to leave Clarence at home unattended and absolutely, you know, just on his own. Um, she waited for him to leave with his new girlfriend off somewhere. And then he rang me, she rang me and said, Chelsea, um, he's left Clarence. And I just said, right, just can, just go in and get him. So, yeah, she broke in and, and uh, got Clarence out of his cage and then just delivered him to me. This is like some covert spy shit, I have yeah. to say. This
0: is like, <laughs> what, a, what a highlight. <laughs>
1: I know. Oh, God, it was like, it was because I was a nanny as well. So I had six children that I was looking after that day. I'd taken them on like a bowling day because it was um, half term. and I told the kids I was like right you know I said oh obviously I didn't tell them what actually happened but I said oh we're gonna go get my dog and they were so excited so (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah
1: yeah. so I dropped them off at my mum's house um so she was looking after the kids then um yeah me and my landlady met at like a kind of halfway point she handed over Clarence to me we recorded it as well to show like how excited he was and then I brought him back, and just it was like my parents and and the kids were all like congrat- you know like "Ah, oh, so excited and so happy for me to get Clarence back um and then I did get a call from the police later saying that um Dean had filed a a complaint that i'd stolen stolen Clarence however the the interesting thing was that the policeman that was dealing with the case um he actually told me sort of off the record tips of how to steal Clarence back without it being against the law. so (laughs) so he sort of helped um and they recorded his his complaint but they never acted on it because they just didn't care I don't think I think they thought he was scum um so yeah uh you know I got I got Clarence back and I I moved in and it all seemed really good for a while I did I did end up going into hospital for um 10 days as well with an asthma attack I think I'd, I'd lost like two stone and my body was just so I think it was under so much stress that I, um, as soon as I got Clarence back, actually, it was almost like I I could rest, and um, I I had a huge attack, and I was in hospital for ten days. But for me, it was like a a kind of like a break, you know? I was being looked after. (laughs) So. um, Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like the one of the worst things you can do for
1: asthma is allergies and stress. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so like I found someone to look after Clarence. It was all good, and. Um, I met an, a really old lady as well she was in the bed next to me and um, I told her my story and uh you know I made because I, I decided to become a Buddhist as well so I was trying to find my spirituality and you know all that kind of stuff and um just like a, a weird sort of random thing but um it's funny how when when really bad things happen to you like hope or light comes and meeting this old lady in the hospital. um she sort of said you know how are you surviving and and she was really touched by my story and just before I left she gave me a check for a thousand pounds um which I found really hard to accept because I thought it made me look like I had been you know predatory or I didn't think that I deserved it um and I thought I had to give something back but she she just said no you know this is to help you get on your feet and money is money and you know I she just wanted to help me out she was like 102 she she fought through World War Two. so right. yeah so it was all a bit like a, she's just trying to pay it forward yeah I think yeah definitely um and then you know just I mean trying to kind of condense things but in the you know in that immediate thing that happened like all those events you know I I suddenly was like right I'm gonna I'm gonna get a brilliant job and I'm gonna start my life over and All this kind of stuff, you know, all the things that you sort of tell yourself or you look at movies and, you know, that's how people end up, isn't it? Like their lives just suddenly get better and.
0: They lived happily ever after.
1: Yeah. Um, unfortunately that's not, that's not reality, is it? So, um, kind of quickly found out that, you know, when you go through a traumatic event like that, you, you do develop some kind of, well, I don't know if everyone would, but I certainly did. And that's, yeah, I developed PTSD and it it was almost like another hurdle well it has been another hurdle to get over um I I ended up quitting that brilliant new job that I got um you know it was was very very tough actually the 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 sort of initial two years after that um I was lucky uh, luckily I was part of a Buddhist group um who were really supportive and it taught me a lot of like meditation and different outlook on life and I did get a new boyfriend um who was very loving actually and really really kind before the first year (laughs) and then it seemed like I'd maybe chosen the wrong person again um he wasn't abusive or anything but there was definitely sort of traits of him that you know were kind of similar to the people that I go for normally like a little bit narcissistic that kind of thing and
0: I'm sure or I don't want to assume, but was that, you know, like triggering for you as soon as you started seeing some of those traits? Was it like, OK, I got to
1: Nope. Um, yeah, it was. I think I, I kind of went back into that um, pattern again of of ignoring the red flags or the, the intuition um, of, you know, saying what are my boundaries and what do I accept and what don't I accept? And because I've lived most of my life not not having boundaries and just appeasing people all the time um it took a while for me to kind of realise that I deserved better um, and also to admit to myself that yet again, here's another failed relationship. But now with with where I am now and, and who I am now, I I don't look at it as like a failed relationship. And I don't, you know, I don't I don't have any regrets of anything that happened to me because I have actually managed to get out of that conditioned behaviour that happened to me when I was so little that I don't really... I won't really allow it to happen to me again, which I think at the age of that I am now, I think it's really important. Otherwise, you know, if I was realising this when I was sort of fifty or sixty, I think it would be very, very difficult. So I'm very lucky that I've I've gone through everything now so I can make sure that it never happens to me again. But the PTSD has been really hard to live with. Um it's made me change so many jobs so many times and not being able to kind of really be honest with, with my mental health because you know, a a year after that I got a new job and then I was bullied at that job for having mental health problems. And, you know, you want to tell people an uplifting, positive story that once you overcome abuse and things like that, you know, everything's fine and everything gets better, but it doesn't happen like that quickly and, and bad things do still happen. But I actually think that just from going from my experience... That I don't look at it as like a, a kind of sad thing. It's it's actually been incredible how I've grown and the the boundaries that I've put in place and and kind of understanding people's nature as well. Um, I'm I'm really happy being single. I'm no longer looking for a partner anymore. I think if it happens, it happens. That's great. But I've kind of gone from being that girl at 26 of like desperately needing a boyfriend to make myself feel validated. I'm now a 32 year old woman who has kind of accepted that I've had a really toxic way of looking at love. Um, and I'm not ready for a relationship yet. And I'm just like working on myself. And I think it's taken a very long time to actually give myself the love that I deserve. And maybe that's been a lesson all along.
0: Right, you finally are in a place and have enough space and safety where you can start getting to know yourself
1: and being in relationship with
0: yourself because it is, you know, hard to look at your own stuff and it's hard to get to know yourself and to even know what those boundaries are if you've never had a safe way to explore that, you know, it, you were kind of in this like domino effect of toxic relationships um, that you didn't even have an opportunity to to figure out what those boundaries were for you and what you wanted them to be and what they should look like and how you enforce them. And so now you're in this really neat place where you get to do that.
1: Yeah, I think I think being able to say no a lot more um, has been really helpful because I realised that when you don't have a, a stable or if you don't have stability, like a lot of people can go back to, you know, they can rely on their parents and things like that. And I've I've never really had that because I've just not been in a position to. It's not like my parents are horrible or anything like they love me and I, I see them. But I I cannot if, if if everything went wrong, I could never go back to my parents and live there permanently I I have to kind of keep keeping myself above water which can be really really exhausting um and it's very easy to want to just you know rely on someone else to do that for you and that's kind of what I was doing I was just sort of like in a survival mode all the time just putting up with whatever was thrown at me because I felt like I had no no other choice and I think you know what they say about hitting rock bottom a few times you know you always sort of the only other place to go is up so you have to keep picking yourself up, but um, you know there, there were so many times where I I would be on the floor like rock bottom and just be like I can't do this anymore. But that that little bit of light would always kind of keep me going back. But now it's kind of you know I might not be earning loads of money and things like that, but I'm I'm really stable. I've got a good place that I'm living. I've got my own space. I do my own thing. I've got a nice car. I've got a good job. It's it's just amazing how it kind of all you know come like when you're in your worst points and you think that it's never going to get better um it 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 can it really it really can if you well not even if you i i i think you know i sometimes get worried that i'm putting too much pressure on people and i'm like oh if you work hard and blah blah you know but i just think it mm-hmm. it can happen you can make it happen you you don't it's okay to be on your own you know that's, that's the biggest point that i've taken from this
0: and and i feel like we you know we've kind of been talked about it a little bit but I do want to be intentional and ask and, and I try to wrap up the podcast by um by giving any guest an opportunity to just say what what message or takeaway would you have for any survivor who's listening right now?
1: I think um and actually that's something that I, I do think about a lot because I think, you know, if someone came to me with, with the same issues and things, what would I s what would I say and, and what what would I say to them about what I've been through in my life and I think really the, the the biggest thing that I can think of is is to not um, not hate yourself you know it's, not think that it's that it is your fault and if things don't snap back or if things don't get better immediately you've not failed I think that was probably the biggest thing for me to realize is that you know I was so set on my life just like being amazing as soon as Dean got convicted and that that was it and I was going to have this wonderful life and and everything and you know and I'm still not there but that's okay it's it's absolutely okay it's okay to go at your own pace and it's okay to learn at your own pace and it's okay to make more mistakes um and it's you know it's okay to realize that you loved someone who hurt you and abused you that's not your fault it's it's really a reflection of you it's a reflection that you've got so much love and hope in your heart that you can see the good in everyone, even if they are showing you red flags and you choose to ignore them. It doesn't make you stupid. It makes you magic, actually. It makes you, you know, one of those rare people in the world that can get up time and time again and and face the world and see the world again and again with, you know, hopeful eyes and still trust people. Um, I think not letting these experiences make you jaded is really important because you can end up hating the world and why let someone who's got so much darkness and hate in them make you hate other people or the world and not enjoy the rest of your life um you know they shouldn't get to win they shouldn't get to take that away from you it was their fault that they threw away something so beautiful because of their own darkness and you should never punish yourself for the rest of your life for that but I think I think it is really important to just highlight that however long it takes to get back on your feet, it's not a, you know it doesn't define who you are or the reflection and if you need time to process it, if you need years to heal, if you need to keep going through um what happened and keep having therapy you know and keep doing what what you need to do to get over it, no matter how long it takes that's that's your choice, and that's okay um It's on no one else's timeline because yeah no one else can really tell you how to how to live your life i think or how to heal yeah exactly um talking to other people is is obviously really really helpful um and and sharing those experiences and trying to help other people um i think that's that's been like the biggest thing for me is being able to help others but also learning that it's okay to be selfish that's another big thing that i figured out that being selfish is okay it's not negative it's not wrong um and uh and also just like one other point is if you end up being with someone again who you know like in my case being with another boyfriend who was a little bit sort of not not abusive but you know obviously like not maybe being or not treating you the way that you should be treated and that happens to you again like that's not that's not failure either um, you know it, it's not a reason to think that it's your fault or that it's you or there's something wrong with you or anything like that it's just it's it's just unfortunately the way it is, and it's it's how you kind of react and how you how you look after yourself um that that you should be focusing on and that matters and I think that I'll probably be rambling a little bit more, but hopefully <laughs> no, that's okay. No,
0: I love it. <laughs> The, like every word that comes out of your mouth I'm like yes yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes all of it and I oh I just loved your description of like people you know the the special people in the world that have the that hopeful empathetic heart and that you know that's magic you know that is magic and you're magical Chelsea and I Aww. just like so yeah I'm really really <laughs> grateful that you that you came on the podcast and you were so willing and open with your sharing and it's a real gift to the we are her community um to survivors to me i feel really honored to to just listen to your story so no
1: thank actually, you thank you so much, thank you so much. Yeah, like wonderful. yeah it's um you never quite know if what you're saying is like a bit rambling or like makes much sense but i really do hope that someone whoever listens to this and you know someone can relate to it and they can well, they can know that they don't deserve to be treated like this, that it isn't their fault and that they can actually get help as well. Um, you know, like they, they matter just as much as anyone else. Um, and investing in yourself is not a bad thing. It's not selfish. It's, it's probably the best thing that you could ever do for yourself and other people. Um, but I think that was the biggest thing. It was, it was not, not actually validating or not um, allowing myself to, be, to, to sort of get the help and stand up for myself and now god I stand up for myself all the time I have no problem <laughs> I'm always telling people yes! <laughs> you know, no sorry I don't like that or no you can't say that to me or you can't do that you know even like the other day I got told off for being in a park uh doing some exercise by someone it was a very angry man and he came up to me as I was screaming at me and I just I just said who you know who are you to talk to me like this you, you can't you can't speak to me like this and I just you know ignored it and I thought Chelsea four or five years ago would probably never have done that um obviously you know if it's a dangerous situation don't don't make things worse but yeah you know like just uh making sure that you you do stick up for yourself um and you're true to yourself is is the best way to live live your life well for me anyway hmm.
0: and I think that message will resonate with a lot of people and believe me you are not rambling and a hundred percent there are people who will hear this and it will resonate with them too. Um, yeah, I just, again, I'm just so, so grateful for, for you being on the podcast and, um, yeah, with that, I, I think unless there's anything else you want to kind of end with, I think we'll wrap
1: up. Um, there is actually one thing and it's very quick. Um, the one thing that I've always noticed throughout my experiences through anything, jobs, friendships, um yeah, relationships, even you know family interactions, that kind of thing. your intuition is so key that is you know that is like the magical thing that we all have, and every time i didn't listen to mine, uh you know, I would kind of find out later on that it was right, and now I listen to it, and there's nothing wrong with listening to it, and I just think it's really, really important to sit with your body and listen to what is being told to you because your gut knows. it it absolutely knows and normally it's when you don't listen to it that you know turmoil kind of happens and it's what protects us is that primal instinct isn't it so just if anyone if anything does feel off about anything or anyone you're probably usually right so it's good to just kind of check in with yourself and and look at what that message is because uh yeah it could it could save you a lot of trouble I suppose I just wish I'd I'd done that a bit more so that's what I do now (laughs) Oh well, and I've heard that from a lot of
0: survivors, and a lot of the survivors that have been on this podcast have said exactly that. Like, you know, hindsight 2020. But what I'm learning now is to tap into that, those instincts, that intuition, um, and trust your gut. I mean, that's a phrase I hear all the time, not just in the, this podcast, but also just in circles of survivors who are on the other side of their relationship. Like, oh, trust your gut, trust your gut. I wish I would have trusted my gut, you know. So I think. It's an important message to keep reiterating for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that that was all I've got to say. So, I'm sure everyone <laughs> everyone's pretty tired no. of me talking now.
0: <laughs> no, I love it. I love it so much. Um, yeah, thank you Chelsea. I think you're amazing and we're really lucky that you've been following us and are a part of our little community.
1: Oh, no. So, I love I love you guys. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for giving us that yeah. as well. It's amazing what you guys are doing. Absolutely.
0: Well, with that, I will say goodbye, and we'll see you in the future somewhere on the interwebs in the We Are (laughs) Her community. I'm sure. Okay, brilliant. (laughs)
1: Brilliant. We'll take care and stay safe during this whole weird thing, you know, weird time that we've got. And uh, yeah, just uh, thank you again so much. No problem. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and don't forget to check out our online community at weareher.net. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse or assault, you can always call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233.